Hello, this sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So if you aren't a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of His glory to you. Man, thanks, Danielle. Um, by the way, I'm Vince. I forgot to introduce myself. I'm Vince. If we haven't met, I'd love to meet you. I'm on staff here as a, a pa- pastor, and I'm an elder here as well. So good to meet you all. Here we go. Um, we have been working through the book of Joshua uh, over the last several weeks, and we'll continue on through the end of the book. We've given the title of this series um, uh, the title is Faithful, and there's a couple of reasons we've done that. One, first and foremost, we've given it the title because God himself is faithful. He is a faithful, promise-keeping God, right? So this has been highlighted in the book of Joshua already. The book of Joshua is the culmination of the promises of God for the people of Israel. The first five books of the Bible build this case till we get to the book of Joshua that we get to see the promises of God being kept and fulfilled, and the people um, are are moving out of slavery of Egypt through the wilderness wanderings um, toward the land that God has promised them. So we've seen over and over that God is faithful. We've titled it Faithful. The other reason we've titled it Faithful is because the book of Joshua highlights for us the call of God on his people to be obedient as well, to be faithfully obedient as well. We see this in the very first chapter of the book where, where there's this call on the life of Joshua to be strong and courageous, or to be obediently faithful, to be strong and courageous, to lead the people toward the land that God has promised. And so the call is on Joshua, um, but, but it's not just on Joshua. Joshua then in turn is leading the people and, and calling them to be strong and courageous as well. So that's been the theme of, of the last four chapters for sure, and it's the theme as well today. So let me catch us up so we're all on the same page um, uh, with what we've gone through. If you're not familiar with the book of Joshua, I'm going to put us all together in the same place. If you are familiar but haven't read in a while, let, let me just put us all here. Here's what's going on. After 40 years of wandering in the wilderness due to the disobedience of the people, right, and, and also their leader, Moses, uh, Moses has now died. That's how the book begins, right? It be- begins with death. So Moses has died, Joshua has now taken over. Because of disobedience, they've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years after 400 years of slavery to the Egyptians. The people are finally moving toward um, this promised land, this huge land. In mass, they're moving forward toward this land that's flowing with milk and honey. Joshua has sent out two spies into the land that they're going to take over. Um, to see what's going to go on, to get, get a good game plan. They come back with word for Joshua from a woman in Jericho named Rahab, and she tells them this. Listen, the people are terrified. They're melting with fear because of what your God has done. So they come back to Joshua, tell him that, and, and, and so Joshua sends the Ark of the Covenant, this box, this time capsule of sorts, that represents the very presence of God among the people, sends the, the priests out into the Jordan River, God miraculously stops the flow of the river, this raging, rushing, um, high uh, water season river that, that's coming down. 
stops the flow so that thousands and thousands and thousands, maybe millions of people can cross through the riverbed on what kind of ground? Dry. Completely dry. Joshua, the book of Joshua tells us multiple times that they cross over on dry ground. That's miraculous. Not sticky, swampy, muddy ground, but dry ground. And so the people set up camp on the other side of the river, just miles outside of Jericho, this first city that they're going to move in to take over. We'll see that next week. Here's what the anticipation is building for what's coming, right? The anticipation is building, and we get to the part of this part of the story, and we think, oh, this is going to get good, right? We get through these four chapters. Here we go, right? This has been coming. Five books of the Bible building to this point, four chapters building us up. Uh, the anticipation has built to this point in the story, and the battle, battles are going to get going now, right? Some of you who are like, yeah, like war stuff. Let's go there. Uh, and you're anticipating it. Here it comes. It's coming. Here we go. And we have this, this timing in mind that we want God to act in our timing. Here it comes. It's coming. We're, we're on the edge. We're going to see it. And we want God to act. Anybody else have a, a struggle with that, wrestle with that? Where you think now's the time that God should be acting. Anybody else wrestle with that? Come on. All right. Just Jimbo. Me and Jimbo, this is for me and you, buddy. Uh, we, we feel that, don't we? we? We have this, we're on the edge, and we're like, now's a good time to act, God. Now would be a good time for you to do something, God. Now. Right now would be a really good time for you to show up, God. Now would be a good time for you to show yourself to be really powerful right now. I know it would be good. You, you've experienced that. Of course you have. I've experienced that. We've experienced that. I'll just put it, if you're trying, having a struggle there to try to figure out, what's he talking about? I'll put it this way. Some of you right now I know are trying to, to buy or sell a house, Right? And that's time sensitive, right? Especially in this market, it's time sensitive. And, and, and maybe you're thinking, God, this is a time sensitive moment. Now would be a good time for you to act right now. Not after the 13th offer, right? But right now is when I need you to act. Or maybe it's a health related issue and you think some healing would be really nice about now. Or maybe um, for you, uh, uh, maybe some of you have experienced this, um, pregnant woman, women, um, not pregnant woman, I'm not just calling out the one, pregnant women, you, pregnant woman, um, pregnant women, you, you've experienced this. Now would be a really good time, right, for me to have this child, for this to be done, for us to move forward, Let, let's go. Now would be a good time to do that. Or, or maybe um, you, you've been in a moment, uh, we've all been in this moment recently, um, through the last couple of years, where you thought, this would be a horrible time to get sick. Have you thought that? Like, I've got this big thing coming up. Now would be a horrible time to get sick. And we, we feel that. We, we have our timing in mind that we think the things that we have in front of us would work out well according to what we have. That, that God would do well to listen to us about our timing requests. Anybody else felt that? We have, haven't we? Here's the deal. When we're dealing with a faithful, dealing with and, and also following a faithful God who always keeps his promises, our role in that relationship is to trust and obey. 
Our, our role there is to trust and obey, no matter what the timing is. And that's easy to say, right? That's easy for all of the, oh, yeah, that's good, that's good. It, it's a little bit harder, more difficult to, to actually engage in and do. To trust and obey. That God has a plan, a plan and part of that plan is to keep his promise, to, to be faithful himself, that he will be faithful to, to carry out these things, and our role is to trust. Our role is to be faithful as well. Our, our role is to obey. God is much more concerned about our faithful obedience that leads us to worship than he is about the timing working out well from our perspective. Who needs to hear that again? Okay. My wife needs to hear that again. She raised her hand. I'm not calling her out. <laughs> hear, the, hear this again. God is much more concerned about our faithful obedience that leads us to worship than he is about the timing working out well from our perspective. He's much more concerned about our faithful obedience that's moving us to worship. So friend, listen, what right now has become a source of contention for you because of timing? What right now in your life has become a source of contention because of the timing, at least from your perspective, because of the, the timing, that, that God may want to remind you in the midst of that, that it's not about the thing, whatever that is, but it's about your faithfulness to him and your worship of him. What is it that you're walking through? Let me show you what I mean from the text this morning. I want us to look at chapter 5, verse 2. Danielle read us up through chapter 5 in part because I didn't want her to have to read about circumcision. Uh, but I also um, wanted to, to show you where we came from last week um, and, and what we're up against. We heard uh, these early, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, this transition verse between chapters 4 and 5, the king's of the Amorites and all the kings surrounding the areas heard that God had um, dried up the waters of the Jordan. Right? The kings have now heard that, that this God has dried up the waters of the Jordan. So the people are on the move. They're ready to step forward. Look at verse 2 of chapter 5. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeoth Haaraloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though so all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place 
that Joshua circumcised. But they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. You're welcome, Danielle. Um, Here's what we see. Um, Here's what the people of God are called to. Faithful obedience to a faithful God. Even when it might not make sense in their timing, in their understanding, they are called to faithful obedience to a faithful God. So the Lord says to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel, and the males of Israel. So Joshua did just as God commanded at a place coincidentally named Gibeath Haaraloth. Uh, not coincidentally. It means, if you read the footnote, the hill of the foreskins. Not a coincidence, probably named afterwards. Not a great place to vacation if you're looking for places. Faithful obedience to a faithful God. Not only is Joshua faithfully obedient in that moment. Hear this. Let's come, let's come back. That's funny. Uh-huh. Okay, let's come back. And not only is Joshua faithfully obedient in that moment, but he is carrying out faithful obedience to God from generations past. He's carrying that out for, for the people. The, the people who are following Joshua and following God are, are faithfully obedient as well. So they're engaged in this. They're, they're moving forward. This is, um, listen, let's just remember Joshua's just been called into leadership. This is a hard first job for a new leader. I'm going to lower taxes and circumcise you all, right? That, that's a hard new step for a first leader. But here's Joshua. And here's why. You see, all the way back in Genesis 17, not long after God had made the promise with Abraham that from him would come a great nation and a great people, and that they would be promised a land, a land flowing with milk and honey. This great land was promised to Abraham and the people who would come. God seals that promise. God seals that covenant with a sign. And the sign between God and Abraham, you can read it in Genesis 17 later this week, the the sign between God and Abraham and his people was what? It was circumcision. It would be marked as a people in this way. The promise of a great nation and a great land, that, that covenant would be marked, would be sealed by the sign of circumcision of all the males who will faithfully and obediently follow God. This is the mark of, the, uh, of this generation after generation after generation, this mark of circumcision. So back to, to Joshua chapter 5, why is God then commanding Joshua to circumcise the men on the west side of the Jordan before they enter Jericho? That doesn't seem like good timing. It was the command of God, though, for for generations and generations. Why do the males need to be circumcised? The author tells us in verse 4, saying this is the reason. I love it when the author tells us. This is the reason uh, why Joshua circumcised them. We're told that all the males who were in Egypt as slaves for those 400 years had been circumcised. Then God freed them from Egyptian slavery to go out into the wilderness. They were no longer um, in Egypt, but they were wandering in the wilderness. But now they're, they're not in the wilderness. They've crossed the river. They're moving toward the, the promised land. 
waiting on God's timing, probably frustrated and impatient as they waited and waited, but here they are. You may remember the story that when Moses sent men into the promised land to spy it out, the majority of them came back with a negative report, all but two came back with the negative report, we'll never be able to overtake them. We can't do it. We're scared. We're not doing it. And the people grumbled against Moses and ultimately against God, and they said, I wish we had a better leader that would lead us back to Egypt because life was good back then. Can we go back there? And so there's rebellion from the people, and because of that, God responds, and what does he, how does he respond? He says, all right, back out to the wilderness for 40 years, you can go. You, you can wander around. No one, uh, no one who's uh, currently a part of this generation of people will go into the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb. They came back with a, a good report. I think we can do it. We can do this. Let's go. You can read about that in Numbers 14. We also know that Moses, in his own rebellion against God, was prohibited from going into the promised land as well. So the book of Joshua starts with, and he died. And then we move forward. So we're told in Joshua chapter 5, verse 5, the men who were circumcised died in the wilderness. Those 40 years, they died out in the wilderness, and the new generation born in the wilderness were not yet circumcised. So we're told in verse 7, it was the children who were born in the wilderness. Really, um, all the men, what, 40 and younger is what we're talking about who Joshua circumcised on the banks of the Jordan in the place that had become known as the Hill of the Foreskins. Now think about this. That's obedience, right? Not just the people's obedience to Joshua to be circumcised, and not just Joshua's obedience to God and having all the males circumcised, but this is the nation's obedience to the God who had made a covenant with them. And a sign and a seal of that covenant was this, to carry out the the sign of the covenant that they were to be the people of God together. This was the first time in 40 years that the nation had been obedient in this way. The first time in 40 years that they had been obedient to carry out the commands of God with the mark of circumcision. This was faithful obedience to a faithful God. This is a significant event. But is it a significant event that points to the people and to their obedience? Wow, look how obedient they are. In some part it is, but more significantly, this is about God. He has promised to be faithful to them. He has called them to be in covenant with him as the people of, his faith, of this faithful God, this is most about the faithful God who's called them into relationship. So we're told in verse 8 that after they were all circumcised, the whole nation stayed there at the camp of, of Gilgal as they healed. Here's what I think we need to see. Days of waiting. You know the people were, were anxious to get to their new lands. They had been wandering for years. Right? Some people only knew this. Some of them knew, like, yeah, Grandma and Grandpa have talked about the, the Egyptian slavery bit. We know that. That's gone on for generations. And, and, and what we know now is just wandering in the wilderness. That's what they know. They're ready. They're anxious to move forward. Could you imagine maybe some of them saying, right now, God, would be a horrible time to be on bed rest healing. 
Right now, God, is a horrible time for such a medical procedure. But again, God is much more concerned about our faithful obedience that leads us to worship than he is about the timing working out well from our perspective. So God says in verse 9, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Or, or to put it this way, Today the mockery from the Egyptians will be no more. They've heard that I've promised you a land, but all they've seen is they looked out, out into the wilderness as a bunch of dust stirred up because you guys are doing circles out there. They're mocking you. They're not just mocking you. They're mocking me. Today I've rolled away the reproach from the Egyptians. I'll show myself to be faithful to them and to everyone who's looking in. Egyptians and anyone else will know that I am God. God is more concerned about our faithful obedience that leads us to worship than he is about the timing working out well from our perspective. Friends, where have you neglected faithful obedience to God because it's just not convenient. That, that happens, doesn't it? Know the, the thing that I ought to be doing, and that's so inconvenient right now. It doesn't work out well in timing. It's just easier to not whatever, fill in the blank. God desires our obedience. In fact, he demands it. But just because it strokes his ego, is that why? No, that, that's not why. He desires it because it's an act of worship. Have you thought about that before? That your obedience to God is an act of worship. Maybe you're thinking, well, I'll just come here on a Sunday morning and that will be my act of worship. No, listen, listen. If there's a sin over here and you know that sin is there and it's tempting you and you're moving toward it and you stop and walk the other way, that's worship. Have you thought about that? That's worship. That's worship of a God who's called us to be in relationship with him. Our obedience to God is an act of worship and when we sin against God, or reversely, when, when we're not faithfully obedient, we are neglecting to worship God, moving away from that. And as we are faithfully obedient, we see and we understand that God is a God who keeps his promises. We're drawn in to see that. God, you're a God who keeps his promises. I want to I be like that. I want to be like you. I want to be faithful in the, in, in the same kinds of ways. And often then we, we are the recipients of, we're the beneficiaries of God's good gifts. Look at verse 10. It says, While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land, and there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Promised blessings from a faithful God. That's what we see. Promised blessings from a faithful God. The people are encamped at Gilgal while the men healed. They had to stay there. They had to, they had to be there. And we're told that they celebrated the Passover there. This was 
four days after they had crossed the Jordan River. Remember what was back in uh, chapter 4, verse 19, that the people crossed the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month? It's now the 14th day of the 10th month, which is the Passover. So they're there. Now, what's the celebration of Passover? Just think through that for a a bit. For the Israelite people, the Passover was significant. That's maybe an understatement. This was what the, the 40th time now they had celebrated Passover where? In the wilderness. Wandering around, trying to make preparations for an event that God has commanded them to celebrate, to, to, to be ready to celebrate this as a commemoration of the night when the angel of death passed over their houses while they were in Egypt. The houses marked by blood on the doorframe, signifying them as, a, as God's people. They had been saved. They had been freed from slavery. That in itself is a promised blessing from a faithful God, isn't it? That they've been freed from that. They've been released from that. They've been saved from death and freed from slavery. Now, listen, this is not in the text, but something interesting, I think, to think about. Had the men not been laid out healing from the procedure of circumcision they would probably have been on the move, engaged in battle, trying to take out the people of Jericho. Not in the text, but just think through what's going on. They've crossed the river, they're ready to go. Had they not been laid out healing from this procedure, they would have been on the move, ready to take over. Can we say this? God intentionally slowed them down so that they could worship, so that they could remember so that they could look back and remember all that he had done. Not something they were wanting, I would imagine. Not something they were wanting, but something they were needing. Slow down. Engage in the worship of the God who made them. Again, this is not in the text, but something that I think is helpful for us to think through. And it's much like a Sunday gathering for us. A time of a Sunday together for us. Aren't there a thousand other things we could be doing on a Sunday morning? It's Colorado, people, right? There are a thousand other things that we could be doing and want to be doing on a Sunday morning. And God has set aside a day for us to to gather with others, to worship Him, to slow us down, to worship Him. Him to, and, and I would ask the question, do we see it as an interruption or do we see it as a gift? Do we see this slowing down as an interruption or do we see it as a gift? We're told that the day after Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land. Now, it was still quick food. Right? Unleavened cakes and parched grains. It was for, for them, for, for us to understand, tortillas and quick oats. Right? But it wasn't manna. It wasn't manna. We're told that it wasn't manna. They've been eating manna, a food provided by God. Absolutely, a food provided by God. But the same food day after day after day for years. You ever been on a long road trip driving? And um, all you're doing is like waiting for the big signs for the flying J or the circle K? Right? Right? Just waiting like 87 more miles until I can pull over and get sunflower seeds, a a bottle of Coke, and something to spit them in, and something that's rotating on those silver discs, right? Whatever that is. 
right? Come out, get back in the car, smell a little bit like burnt hot dogs and cigarette smoke, but you're ready to go, right? What happens when you finally get home? Anything tastes good because it's not that. It's not the food on the road. But for these people, it was a marker of God's provision for them to be sure. Manna was a marker of God's provision for them to be sure, right? But it's the same food, same food, the same food. They knew they were coming into a land that was flowing with milk and honey, a land flowing with bountiful produce. It was here, even now on the banks of the Jordan. As soon as they crossed it, it was there. Day after day, there was a gift for them right there. And not just that, they celebrated Passover. The remembrance itself is a gift, a blessing from God. The day after the Passover, they ate of the produce of the land, this promised blessing from God. The very next day after they ate the produce of the land, the manna stopped. Something that had been a promised blessing from God for them uh, for years has now stopped because they have another promised blessing from God. Right? It was something, this manna was kept in the covenant to represent to them God's presence among them. This was important for them, but now it's gone. Why? Because they have another blessing that's been promised, able to eat the fruit of the land of Canaan day after day. It's a promised blessing from God. Friends, listen, this is us too, yeah? It's us as well. We're, we're recipients of the promised blessings of a faithful God, and we experience them daily, daily. We can start with the most simple basic necessities, food and clothing. Jesus reminds us in Matthew chapter 6 that we are of much more value to God our Father than the birds and the flowers, that, and he provides for them, and how much more does he provide for us? We can just start there. We have at least three reminders of that during the day as we eat, unless you're doing some spaced out thing or fasting, intermittent fasting or whatever, then you've got multiple times. Whatever the case, you've got reminders of that. When meals come around, blessings from God. But maybe you say, those aren't promised blessings, right? Because there are certainly believers around the world who aren't getting three meals a day. And so those things aren't, aren't it's not promised that we would get three blessings. But God has promised to take care of us and all that. But, but what about some promises? Well, what about those? Well, I, I think if we, we talk about the promised blessings of God for those who are his followers, especially now that Christ has come to bring salvation, you could walk through all of the promised blessings that you see in the New Testament specifically. You, you start in places like Ephesians 1. You just hit Ephesians 1 for like 12 verses. You got verse 3, every spiritual blessing. Verse 4, chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Uh, again, declared holy and blameless. Verse 5, predestined for adoption. All of it according to his will. Verse 6, and for his praise. Verse 7, redemption through the blood of Jesus. Verse 7 again, forgiveness of sins. Verse 8, the riches of his grace lavished on us. Verse 9, the mystery of his will made known to us. Verse 11, we've obtained an inheritance. Verse 12, again, all of it for his praise and his, his glory. Verse 13, sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance. Verse 14, again, all for his praise and his glory. Those are promised blessings from a faithful God that we have received in obedience of faith. Uh, many of those blessings have happened already uh, in faith, and some of those are yet to come when, when Christ returns and reveal those, uh, reveals those in full. These are promises. So we think about well, what are the promised blessings that we receive? We, we just go here, right? The promised blessings of God. Does God always keep his promises? Can you say this with me? Say this, right here. 
God always keeps his promises, yeah? We need to hear that. Thank you, Mildred. God always keeps his promises. Promised blessings from God. Friends, it's got to lead us to a, a response of worship and, and not just worship and song and prayer. Y'all yeah, do that on Sunday mornings for an hour and 15, hour and 25 when Vince is long. We'll, we'll do that uh, for that time, but worship through obedience to him. God is most concerned about our faithful obedience that leads us to right worship. No matter what the timing, no matter what the, 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 the inconveniences are, he's most concerned about our faithful obedience that leads us to right worship, which is what we see in these closing verses of chapter 5. Look at verse 13, we'll finish out. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. Joshua did so. What is of greatest concern for the God who made us to be in relationship with him? What's of greatest concern? Worship. Worship of a faithful God. We're told that Joshua looks up and he sees this man standing with the sword drawn and Joshua says, oh, whoa, whoa, are you for us or are you for our enemies? Joshua's wanting to know, am I about to be killed or protected? There are two questions. You see that, right? I'm not the only one who sees there are two questions there, right? right? Are you on our team or are you on the other team? Two questions. And what's the answer? No, right? It's like when we ask our boys, do you want Brussels sprouts or salad for dinner? And they say no, right? That just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. This question that Joshua asks, this commander of the Lord, doesn't make sense until you find out who's speaking and what they are actually saying. This commander of the Lord's army, this in some way is an expression of God himself, whether it be an angel of God or whether it be the pre-incarnate Jesus incarnate, um, whoever that is, it really, actually it really doesn't matter. So knock yourself out studying that, but it really doesn't matter how we view it as long as we view this person to be an expression of God himself standing in front of Joshua, standing in front of Joshua with a sword drawn, answering the question about his allegiance. Joshua is asking God, what's your allegiance? And he says, no. It's not about whose side I'm on. I, I, I'm not for a side, necessarily. I'm a faithful God who's now here in your presence, ready to stand with you, and I'm worthy to be worshipped not about a side necessarily, it's about me being worshipped, which is exactly what Joshua does. He falls on his face and he worships. The leader, listen, the number one in charge falls on his face, a sign of complete humility and subservience. 
falls on his face and he worships. And Joshua says to the commander, what do you want of me? It's a good thing to ask, God. What do you want of me? And this commander says the same thing that the burning bush says to Moses that Joshua had probably heard about and knew this was coming. Take off your sandals for the place you're standing is holy. Why is it holy? Because he's in the presence of God. So Joshua does exactly as the commander says. He worships. Joshua begins with the wrong question. Whose team are you on? The the commander of the Lord, the Lord himself, says it's not about teams, it's about my worship. Can I just ask you this? How often, especially in these days that we've walked through, how often are we more concerned about drawing lines and figuring out where people stand than we are about worshiping God? How, how much are we concerned about drawing lines? Politically, where do you stand? You hear her there? Theologically, are you, are you more aligned here? Or are you more aligned here? Or, or socially or relationally or sexually, where, where do you stand? Are you here or are you here? We're, we're so often concerned about these things. What side are you on? We want to draw very thin lines about where people stand. Now, do not hear me say that there is not a right or a wrong. That's not what I'm saying. Don't, don't walk out of here saying, hey, just open this up. To, you can believe whatever you want. It's not at all what I'm saying. I'm, I'm not saying there, there's not a distinction between right and wrong, and, and you can believe whatever you want, and, and you can believe whatever you want about God, and you can do whatever you want if it feels good to you. That's not at all what I'm saying. There is a right or a wrong defined by what God has already said in Scripture to be right or wrong, but sometimes we're more concerned about the very thin lines that we are determining who is on what side so that we can see where we stand compared to them when God is most concerned about his own worship. We were in a different church. There would have been some amens there. We, we are most concerned about the worship of God. There, there's right and wrong for sure. How many of us have been distracted by sides to the neglect of the worship of God? I don't, I don't want you to think about someone else. I don't, I don't want you to think, yeah, I know someone who should hear this. I want you to take inventory. I want me, I want me to take inventory of my own heart. How have you been distracted by the wrong question when what is of most importance is standing right in front of you? That's the worship of a, of a faithful God. This goes back to our original thought as well, that God is much more concerned about our faithful obedience that leads us to worship than he is about making sure people are are lined up well, the right timing is working out, and, and on and on. Have we been distracted by what we believe is the right timing? Have we been distracted by what we believe is the right side? Have we been distracted by what we believe about this or, or that thing from our perspective, distracted from the worship of God? The momentum for the Israelites, think about this, let's get back into their shoes. The momentum for the Israelites comes to a screeching halt in the wilderness just after they were on a roll from a miraculous crossing of the Jordan River. They're, they're ready, let's go, let's go, let's go. The momentum slows by the faithful hand of God who had something for the people to see about himself. Right? He's worthy of worship. The same is, is true for us today, isn't it? 
that our God's still worthy of worship, and, and he has reminders for us. He has ways that we can recall this and recount this as well. He has reminders for us that, that we've got to understand, at least for the Israelites, that the circumcision for them was not a means of salvation. It wasn't like, yeah, if we do this, then, then God, God saves us. It was a sign. It was a mark of their being a people of God. It didn't earn them anything, yet it was an act of faithful obedience to indicate, yep, he's our faithful God, a God worthy to be worshiped. Same is true as the celebration of Passover, year after year. This was not a favor to God. God will do this because you've asked us to do it. This is a favor to you. It didn't earn the people anything with God. Yet it was a faithful act in obedience to indicate, look at what God has done to free us and save us. He's our faithful God. He's worthy to be worshipped. Both are pointing not to the humans and their accomplishments. Rather, these actions are pointing to the God uh, who's called them into worship and what he's already done. Likewise for us, we have reminders of a faithful God through baptism and the Lord's Supper. Baptism is a sign for us of what God has done. We'll celebrate that here in a few weeks on Easter Sunday, a representation of what God has done through Christ, uniting the believer with him in baptism, death to the old self, burial, resurrection to new life. But all of that points what? Not to the person, but to the faithful God and what he has done in Christ. So again, if you haven't yet been baptized, we would love to to celebrate this very poignant picture of the gospel with you. A reminder of what God's already done. Likewise, the communion of the Lord's Supper is a sign for us of what God has done in Christ. Now, unlike uh, the celebration of Passover for the Israelite people, what Christ has accomplished was not freedom from slavery to the Egyptians, but freedom from slavery to sin through a one-time sacrifice of himself. His body was broken. His blood was shed. Jesus took these same elements present at the Passover meal, gathered with his disciples, and reinterprets them to show them greater significance in what was accomplished once for all and what he was about to do. His body was the ultimate sacrifice. His blood shed was the ultimate cleansing of sin. And he instructs his disciples, he instructs us to eat and drink in remembrance of what he has done. All of this points not to the one eating and drinking, but to the one who's giving. Gave his son. Joshua chapter 5 points us forward to see some beautiful things of what we have in Christ. Neither baptism nor communion earn our salvation, but they are command by our Lord Jesus as a means of worship of our faithful God who desires worship, demands it, and gave his son so that we could do it. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for, um, again, just a a picture of what you have accomplished through the elements that are here set on the table, elements that Jesus reinterpreted for his disciples, although they had been celebrating the Passover for years and years um, they are now seeing this in a, in a different light, um, one that's pointing forward to what Jesus would accomplish. Help us, God, to, to, see, the, to see this, to, to take it in. I pray that this would not just become a, a, um, a rote thing that we mechanically go through week after week, but it's a, a point in our week where you have caused us to slow down Be together, 
recognize that we have sin in our lives, sin that has been paid for by the precious blood of Jesus. We have moments like this to slow down, take in, consider the things that you've put in front of us to see more of you. So I pray, God, as we see uh, blessings coming from a, a faithful God, that we would have a desire to be obedient to a faithful God as a means of worship because you're worthy to be worshiped. And God, my prayer this morning is that if there's anyone in the room who does not yet know you as Lord and Savior, that you would cause them to, to hear these things from your word 